Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune into today's show. Two of Sam Bankman Fried's closest partners plead guilty to fraud just as he was flying from the Bahamas back to the US. And the SEC claims the FTT, FTX token FTT is a security. We're going to be joined live by Katie Talati, the director of research at ARCA, to discuss the crypto landscape. And if you're watching us on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto. We have a ton of free co crypto content. Content. And if you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell so you stay up to date with our latest crypto analysis. So with that said, let's jump into the latest price action. So it's been a tumultuous week in crypto news, but that hasn't really reflected in crypto prices. Bitcoin is still trading down below 17,000. It's down slightly on the day, currently selling for about 16,600. Bitcoin is down some 4.5% for the past week. Meanwhile, Ethereum dropped below 1,200. It's down 2% in the past 24 hours and around 6.5% for the past week. So with that uh, as, a, as a backdrop, let's bring in our uh, guest, Katie Talati. Again, she's the Director of Research at ARCA, a digital assets management company, a research firm as well. Welcome back to Real Vision, Katie. Pleasure to have you back on. Thanks for having me, Marco. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we start covering the news and, you know, getting into, you know, the, the conversation, uh, I wanted to just see for the viewers who don't know you, or who may not be familiar with you, if you could give us a quick intro background and who you on who you are and like what ARCA does. Sure. So for those who aren't familiar, ARCA is a digital asset investment firm focus, um, you know, focused on bringing institutional investors into uh, crypto, um, providing them kind of, you know, familiar investment vehicles uh, to, you know, get access to the growth of digital assets. Um, so I am the director of research there, which means that I oversee all the investment research across our family of actively managed funds. So we have a liquid token fund, um, an NFT fund, and even an early stage venture fund. Um, and all of them are, you know, like I said, kind of focused on uh, growing the digital assets ecosystem. So we're focused on, you know, deep dive research, um, really being, you know, long biased uh, as we want to see the growth of digital assets take off. Um, prior to ARCA, which I actually helped start four years ago, um, I did uh, VC investing, um, mostly in the fintech space. So pretty familiar with crypto, pretty familiar with, uh, you know, kind of all the things that we're trying to solve here. Um, but, you know, ARCA has been trying to kind of push forward um, institutional adoption in this space via, you know, traditional finance. Um, so that is, uh, that's a little bit about us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, with that said, let's uh, get into the first story that we have. So we, you know, just yesterday we had bombshell announcements about the investigation into FTX uh, and top associates of Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of Alameda Research, Caroline Ellison, and FTX co-founder Gary Wang have pleaded guilty to fraud charges. A federal prosecutor in Manhattan says both are cooperating with authorities. This came as F SBF left the Bahamas on an extradition flight to the U.S. He could appear in court here as early as today. He's expected to request bail, which he was denied in the Bahamas. You know, 
Katie, this this story has really been forefront. Uh, you know, it's been dominating the headlines. It's been this crazy saga, and I'm just curious to hear like what you think the effects are going to be more broadly uh, to the to the markets in in the, in the coming year. Uh, well, you're right about that. It's definitely a saga. I feel like it's been a, a bit of a you know true crime novel or a TV show this uh, this year. Um, you know, the I think the biggest impact, unfortunately, is that. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but following the last few weeks, I've had a lot of people who aren't really close to the crypto space asking me, you know, is crypto going to be around forever? Is, um, you know, is everybody in the space a scammer? Um, and, and that's really a shame. I think that unfortunately FTX in a way has kind of set back the industry uh, quite a bit. I think a lot of people who maybe previously were trusting of digital assets are now going to become very uh, suspicious, right? Anybody who wasn't really educated on the space, especially regulators, um, you know, anybody in the legislature. Um, and that's really that's really tough and harmful for, you know, uh, the rest of us in the industry who are really trying to push forward, um, you know, kind of the, all the positives um, that are happening in the digital asset ecosystem. Um, you know, I do hope that despite this, that we do get some kind of, you know, um, positive regulation coming from this that helps to just really um, put up some guardrails in the industry, not necessarily anything that will, you know, uh, stifle innovation, but really just makes, you know, helps uh, keep consumers safe, especially, you know, retail investors, um, you know, young, you know, people who aren't as familiar with digital assets. Uh, but I think right now that's kind of what, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, FTX is definitely, you know, I think pushed back, um, you know, adoption of broadly of digital assets quite a ways just by giving, you know, more, uh, you know, just kind of tainting the ecosystem with kind of like one more scam. Well, as you're speaking about tainting the ecosystem and like people coming to you and, and kind of saying, hey, like they're worried, they're suspicious, is crypto going to be, you know, is still is crypto still going to be around? Uh, what, you know, I know that you kind of research a lot of, you know, because you're the, the head of research at, at, at ARCA. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the developments? What what happened? What's what did we get right this year? Uh, like what what stood out to you that I think that you think stands out that that kind of like to if for people who might be, you know, going to these uncomfortable, you know, family dinners and it's like, what can we say? Like, hey, this is what we got right this year. Actually, this is why the industry is going to stick around. Yeah, I mean, I think for this year, definitely one of the positives is, you know, the Ethereum merge. I think the fact that we kind of got that done um, or the, the Ethereum developers pushed that through amidst all the, uh, you know, all the struggles, um, that was a huge accomplishment. Um, and I think also, you know, if we're really going to have like mass adoption of digital assets, we need to have um, <clears throat> we need to have platforms like Ethereum move to um, you know proof of stake. A lot of people um, you know were very concerned with the power consumption for Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum as they were proof of work. Um, you know, just the move to proof of stake immediately cut uh, power consumption on Ethereum by like ninety nine percent. Um, it also allows us to get into the next stage of Ethereum's development, which will include scaling, right? Which will make transactions faster, hopefully allow for larger scale enterprise applications to run on top of Ethereum and have more consumers, more adoption come into the ecosystem. And then when you talk about like um, in terms of moving over to proof of stake, a lot, a lot of people criticize or there's some people that have like uh, some criticism about that saying that it would uh, make things more centralized. And and I know that one of the pushes that we're really, you know, that the industry is trying to push towards is decentralization. I mean, what would you say to people who kind of have that type of thinking? I think um, what they're referring to specifically is that um, with the move to proof of stake, there's been this kind of proliferation of um, staking providers. Um, basically, because if you want to run an Ethereum node, you need 32 ETH, which is quite a lot of money for one individual person. But um, you can basically contribute your ETH to a node operator and they will give you like a 
share the profit essentially for doing all of the back end stuff for you. Um, so we've had an, like the rise of these staking as a service providers. And what's happened is that if you do look on some of the there's dashboards online that'll show you like like who holds the most staked Ethereum, um, it's definitely gotten concentrated, right? Like there's most of the staked Ethereum is held by decentralized staking providers like Lido um, and then also centralized ones like Kraken and Coinbase. Um, what I have to say to that is that um, while the centralized exchanges do hold quite a bulk of the kind of staked assets, um, there's a few things there. I think um, <clears throat> I think as we see more adoption of Ethereum, which will come in the next um, Ethereum hard fork when we see withdrawals allowed um, on staked Ethereum. Right now, when you stake Ethereum, it's all locked up, so like users can't you know go in and out of it, which I know is a detriment to some people um, since you know they value liquidity. Um, so there's first that. The second thing is that um, decentralized projects like Lido, like Rocket Pool, um, they're kind of focused, their staking solution, they're trying to focus on doing, um, <clears throat> on not just giving all of these staked ETH to like one node provider, but actually decentralizing those node providers. Um, so it's kind of more of a marketplace of matching like people who want to run a node with people who just have like five ETH that they want to stake. Um, so I think as we see the rise of that, that should help with the decentralization. It definitely does mean that, you know, you have one or two people kind of running things from the top. Um, but that's always been the case. I mean, even with mining, mining was becoming very centralized. Look at how Bitcoin mining is. It's, you know, you have the top like three mining pools or two mining pools make up like 50% of the hash rate. Um, and, you know, th that's just going to continue because mining operations are very expensive to spin up. Um, but I think the idea is as long as you have kind of like geographic decentralization of your nodes um, and also um, like, you know, nodes within different, um, you know, with different hands, I think you're always going to have that optionality. Um, I would also say the last thing is if you do have... Um, you know, kind of concentration of staked power within different nodes. There is the ability over time with withdrawals that people can decide, hey, like this node is really big and I don't think I should be supporting it because it's so um, it's so centralized. I'm going to move my stake to like this smaller node. Very interesting, very interesting. Well, I want to uh, move on to our next story here. Uh, so this one is, in addition to criminal charges, U.S. regulators, SEC and CFTC have also filed civil charges against Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang. The agencies say the two are not contesting the charges. What's particularly notable in the SEC case is that the agency has said it deems FTX's native token, FTT, as security. Here's the quote from uh, from there. It says, if demand for trading on the FTX platform increased, demand for the FTT token could increase such that any price increase in FTT would benefit holders of FTT equally and in direct proportion to their FTT holdings. So obviously this this uh, conversation of, you know, whether tokens are securities. I mean, just yesterday we had Dan Roberts on. He mentioned uh, the the library case. Uh, we have an on there's an ongoing case with, you know, XRP. I mean, what do you think? Uh, happens or what, what's your take on the whole security debate in the industry and how that's going to affect things going forward in 2023? Well, look, I'm no security expert. And I know there's way smarter people that will speak to this than me, but I think, you know, very generally within the ecosystem, it's pretty broadly accepted that like if we're trying to shove digital assets into the security framework that exists today, you really are just forcing like a square peg into a round hole. Um, and I think it is going to be, um, it's its very burdensome to kind of say that all digital assets are securities. Not all of them are. I can understand where some of them definitely either toe the line or they very squarely, you know, can be considered a security based on the Howey test. Um, but at the same time, we're applying a framework from the 1930s. That's like, eight, that was 80 years ago. I mean, we've had so many changes in technology since then, so many changes in society. The fact that we're trying to kind of keep to that just really, um, it just it's very archaic 
Um, I think that, you know, in jurisdictions where regulation has kind of um, has succeeded, they've actually been a lot more, you know, incremental and kind of um, welcoming to digital assets. They've been trying to work with digital assets issuers, digital asset exchanges in order, again, to create guardrails that protect consumers, but don't kind of damper any innovation. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it definitely has a lot of implications to for the SEC to go after FTT as a security. I think that that's going to be a very long on, ongoing uh, legal battle. Um, from what I do know, though, you know, um, the SEC, I think, is trying also to kind of react a little later to this story, um, considering all the, you know, uh, ongoings um, pre prior to this. A lot of people have been, you know, publicly calling out the SEC saying, hey, you guys should have been, you know, more on top of FTX. You should have been regulating them ahead of time. You know, uh, obviously, after events like this, everybody is looking for somewhere to lay the blame except themselves. Um, but this might be, you know, an action by the SEC in order to kind of try to correct um, the fact that they didn't step in sooner. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, when if reg people feel if the regulators feel like they have egg in their face, they're going to react. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What other changes do you think we could see for regulation in the coming year then? I mean, my personal hope, what I'd love to see is um, if we have some sort of um, lo uh, local, sorry, uh, U.S.-based uh, regulation that's kind of specific to exchanges. Um, a great framework, actually, I've been reading up on is Japan has a framework for digital assets exchanges under the FSA. Um, and really interestingly enough, they actually think that FTX Japan users will probably get most of their deposits back one-to-one -one because of these regulations. Um, so they're regulations that make a ton of sense. It's, you know, you have to register with them. Um, and, and by the way, I don't think these are onerous regulations for exchanges. Exchanges are really large. They have a lot of funding. They usually have a couple hundred or more employees and they have thousands of users. There's no reason that they shouldn't be, you know, able to adhere to a few um, kind of basic rules. Um, but for in example, in Japan, um, like I said, you have to you have to register with the regulator. You have to keep customer deposits separate from your own. Oh my gosh, yeah. um, <laughs> you have to keep a certain amount of the customer deposits in custody. You have to carry a certain insurance, and um, I can't remember the other specifics, but there's some other ones about you can't invest more than like the backup assets in something more than like short duration, like CDs and stuff like that. Um, and the idea basically is that. Um, and then you have to also be um, accountable to some sort of an audit where they're coming in and checking those kind of like offside reserves. Um, so all that's done is made that and, and, uh, and you can't commingle the assets if, you know, you have a parent exchange elsewhere. So basically what that meant is for FTX Japan, the user assets were, you know, all in a safe place. So maybe even though the entity itself is bankrupt um, and, you know, not able to, you know, make payroll or make any of its other liabilities, the fact that it's actually able to, you know, its, it's customer deposits were separate. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. By the way, these are the rules that broker dealers have to adhere to, right? Like they can't commingle um, assets between customers and um, their own. And that's what really protects um, the consumer in that case. 
Yeah, absolutely. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, your recent uh, your recent blog slash video. You have these really great videos on YouTube. Uh, What's driving token prices? And we were just talking about it off camera. And you were saying, you know, that you just you, that the industry needs you know more concise to the point education. I think these are great videos for that. So uh, plug in that for you. And you know, if you're interested, definitely you know go over to YouTube and type in Arca Katie Talati. Check it out. Um, but so you cover token prices and what's affecting them. Uh, you know, walk us through some of the tokens you were looking at recently and kind of, um, you know, what, what you see kind of affecting those those tokens. Sure. So, I mean, last week, um, I don't have the overall price moves, but I think last week I talked about uh, Binance Coin, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of similar to FTT, but it's for the Binance Exchange, which is um, the largest exchange by volume um, in the world for crypto. Um, they actually saw about $10 billion in outflows since uh, kind of some of these rumors started. But just following FTX, every uh, crypto exchange has been kind of under the microscope. A lot of people have been digging up, you know, on-chain detectives, trying to sleuth out, you know, the exchanges, cold wallets, hot wallets, figuring out do they actually have the reserves that they claim to have. Um, so Binance has definitely had some, I guess, unsteady footing in recent um, <clears throat> in recent weeks, and that has led to, uh, that, like I said, about $10 billion in net outflows from their exchange, and unfortunately a decline in their BNB token, since a lot of people seem to be uh, just kind of worried about, I guess, where the contagion could potentially spread to next. Yeah, ten billion out uh, in outflows is is huge, and I mean, obviously, I've been seeing a lot of that those rumors myself. I I saw a tweet from uh, Corey Clipstein, you know, the other day. I mean, obviously, um, well, I, I I won't say what I was about to say, but uh, you know, I saw a tweet from him, and he was saying, hey, you know, that you know, take your coins off Binance, you know, it's it's this, um, and another uh, one of the themes that has has really been kind of you know central to this whole Binance rumor is uh, this proof of reserves and kind of this you know unhappiness that people have with the auditing process some auditors recently left the industry the, the space they're not really interested in there can you speak to that a little bit about what's what's going on there sure so i mean this isn't just a binance problem this is every crypto exchange but um one of the regulator or sorry one of the auditors that um <clears throat> So just to give people context, if you're not familiar, so an auditor, traditionally their job is to basically be an independent third party and they go into businesses, funds, and they just say, okay, the money that they say they have is there, their financials are as accurate as we think they are based on our kind of like external investigation. And then they issue what's called an opinion. Um, and they basically just say, you know, it's kind of like a stamp of approval, but for public companies that's required for certain, for funds of a certain size that's required. Um, exchanges, by the way, they basically do it because they're privately held. They don't really actually have to do it. Um, the only one that's not is Coinbase, obviously, which is publicly listed. So um, all the exchanges were getting audits done by, um, you know, a third party auditor. Unfortunately, um, <clears throat> following FTX, um, a lot of auditors have be, have gotten kind of calls from the top, either their management or actually their insurance carriers have said, hey, we really don't want you doing digital asset audits anymore. We think that this is a huge risk to our business. And so they've been kind of pressured to back off from the space and from the industry. Um, so unfortunately, as a result, a lot of um, as a result, um, it seems that, you know, I think one of them is called Mazars. They've just completely withdrawn from offering audits to crypto exchanges. Um, so a lot of them are having to look for new auditors um, in the space. 
Um, but that um, that doesn't really impact the proof of reserves. I think that Binance was looking to perform. Um, I believe that they're actually looking at more of a long-term technical solution that you can kind of see on chain, um, which would be beneficial. I, I do caution people though, proof of reserves, great concept. I think everybody, every exchange should do this. Every crypto business should be transparent. That is the purpose of blockchain, transparency, immutability, decentralization. Um, but at the same time, it's not good enough to just say, okay, Binance has $10 billion in reserves or whatever, sorry, they've got, I think, $60 billion in uh, deposits to say, okay, they've got $60 billion in their reserves, according to these proof of reserves. You also need to know what their liabilities are on the other side of that um, and that their liabilities don't exceed um, those reserves because that is actually the issue that we faced with FTX just now is that, you know, essentially their liabilities uh, greatly um, exceeded their, you know, reserves that they had. And in addition to a lot of other issues, but at a very high level, that is one problem that they faced. So while the idea, the concept of proof of reserves, I think is great. I think transparency is what we need to strive for in digital assets. I don't think it is the end-all be-all. Yeah, I don't think it's the end-all be-all either. And I do agree that it's a, it's a great concept. And I think, you know, we kind of have the door open a little bit and we just have to kind of, you know, as an industry kind of, you know, get it open and, you know, get into the room. And I think over time, we'll start to see uh, some, some you know, progression there. I want to move on to our last story. So this one, uh, Twitter has integrated cryptocurrency prices into search results. It uses a plugin from charting platform TradingView to allow this functionality. When users search for stocks or crypto, they will We'll see the latest chart in the search results. It also includes a link to the Robinhood trading platform. Twitter says it's going to add more tickers in the coming weeks. And obviously, Twitter is this place for crypto discourse. You know, a lot of the times we see breaking news, it comes, you know, from Twitter. And I, I think it'd be kind of, I mean, even myself personally, I mean, if I see some type of, you know, tweet, I mean, I can just search it, you know, on the 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 symbol right there. I can look see what's going on with the price. I mean, Katie, what what do you what do you think this says about uh, I guess Web two companies, institutional companies, these kind of trade, you know, tradfi companies in general, or like this, this kind of old, you know, these companies coming into this this ecosystem and the mass adoption of crypto. Oh well, that was a loaded question. But to start with, yeah. I would say Twitter's always been on the forefront of kind of trying to bridge its way into digital assets. Um, you know, they were the one of the first to add um, crypto t- uh, tipping abilities, I believe, last year. Um, and then even, you know, Jack Dorsey, when he was at the helm of uh, Twitter, he was really pushing forward, trying to like help Bitcoin adoption, um, really push for kind of more digital assets initiatives in Twitter. Um, he seems to recognize that, you know, the future is probably um, within digital assets. And I think that is kind of the, um, you know, kind of what we're going for here. I think it's great that Twitter has uh, implemented this. Um, actually, I think more so from transparency and just information standpoint. Like I think online, a lot of people say, you know, they might quote something and say, oh, this asset is up, you know, X amount in the last seven days, but, uh, you know, maybe a price chart may actually tell like the full story. So I think, you know, just having kind of external links to sources and stuff in general just helps with, uh, you know, information gathering. Um, in terms of broader Web2 adoption, I was actually going to tell you, this is definitely one of the great things that we've seen the last year, I would say has been super positive. We've had so many um, traditional Web2 companies come in to start to embrace digital assets, um, most notably, Starbucks um, launching their, you know, NFT Odyssey um, via Polygon. <clears throat> We've also had Instagram um, say that they're going to be allowing user, you know, users are allowed to like mint and, you know, mint and show their NFTs on the Instagram platform. Um, you've seen Ticketmaster come in and say that they're going to start do, allowing event organizers to issue tickets as NFTs. Um, there, there's a lot 
and, and there's even more that I'm not mentioning, but the fact that we're seeing these like huge Web2 companies create these digital asset strategies and embrace the technology that's already here versus trying to build it themselves, I think that's really um, important and definitely a trend we're going to see continue in 2023. Yeah, definitely. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, uh, I want to, if you, if we have, we, for time purposes, I want to move on to some viewer questions. But before that, I want to remind our viewers to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you never miss the, the crypto analysis that we cover daily. Uh, so this question is coming from Rauch. Ralph H. on the uh, Real Vision website, uh, he says, one thing to be pointed out is that FTX Japan was an acquisition and not an exchange built up from the ground floor by FTX. And also Japanese lawmakers took their learnings from Mt. Gox uh, to enhance the regulatory regime, all, all of which may have made a difference. Um, is, and then which token does KDC as a third and fourth main tokens after BTC? Oh, I guess that first one does not have a question there. But I guess the, the question there that comes after is which token does KDC as the third and fourth main tokens after BTC and ETH, I guess, in, in terms of um, uh, adoption? Um, in terms of adoption, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I, I mean, definitely Ethereum. I think, you know, in terms of kind of building this uh, layer one platform that is widely adopted, widely used, um, we're, we're seeing that, right? And we're seeing that the layer two scaling solutions that are launching on top of it are getting more and more um, sophisticated. And I think that kind of, you know, following some of the upgrades that Ethereum has planned for next year, it's really going to push forward kind of this longer term adoption, especially when it comes to um, upgrades such as protodank sharding um, and some of the uh, solutions that are working for layer two, such as um, optimistic rollups. Yeah. Well, as we speak about trends, Katie, I mean, do you see any other trends uh, for 2023 that I think are, uh, are particularly notable? I know that you guys released the 2023 uh, digital asset predictions. Your exec team have a few of those. I mean, one of the ones that uh, stood out to me was the, the I think something about a stable coin that uh, you guys think that there'll be an institutional uh, stable coin that might that we might see there in 2023. One of the execs said that. Are there any in particular that you think are uh, worth noting? Um, in the stablecoin space? Or just in general, out of all the predictions uh, from Yeah, from no, I mean, so, I mean, one prediction particularly for me that I've been thinking about is I think, you know, we're definitely going to see a return to DeFi, to self-custody, following some of the, you know, issues we've had with centralized parties this year, not just FTX, but Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi. Um, at the end of the day, I know a lot of people have been taking to Twitter and say, not your keys, not your crypto, but it's true. Like, you know, you need to have custody of your assets and DeFi allows you to still transact with your assets while keeping custody of them. So I think that's one trend we're definitely going to see continue um, heading into next year. I also think another big one that's going to rise up um, and because it has so many different kind of implications for DeFi, um, for the growth of digital assets and also just for um, <clears throat> Uh, for institutional adoption is uh, what's called decentralized identity or the idea of having some sort of 
um, credit score on your wallet on the blockchain. Um, so there's a ton of different kind of like angles that that can be approached with. But, um, you know, we do think that something like having decentralized identity will really drive forward adoption of digital assets and, you know, allow the space to really grow um, in a meaningful way. Absolutely. Um, another area too, I'm definitely, you know, excited about um, is, I would also say, um, oh, I did mention scaling. I'm so sorry. Um, the on-chain identity, um, but then also like the Web3 social movement. So kind of some of the stuff we're seeing like with Twitter pushed forward into, you know, trying to be more of a Web3 company, but also projects that are trying to help with the social experience more from the ground up, like owning your fan base, owning your data. Um, all of those things I think are really important to um, the individual. Because um, Web3 at the, end of the, at the end of the day is really about bringing back the power to the individual person and not allowing centralized entities to have control of any of it. Yeah, absolutely. We have another question here from Oliver B on YouTube. He says, hi, Katie, crypto casinos aside, what are your thoughts regarding institutional adoption of Bitcoin in 2023? Where do you see interest coming from, from based on your research? Um, great question. I actually think that, um, so Bitcoin is really an interesting asset. Um, I unfortunately think in the last like year and a half, it's become much more of a, you know, global macro risk asset than it has, you know, the, you know, initial digital asset that people get in the space with. It's also really interesting talking to investors and allocators today versus three years ago. Three years ago, people were, they knew very little about digital assets. Um, but Bitcoin was always the first thing that they learned about in the ecosystem. So it was always the first thing that people bought um, because then they could, you know, learn to self-custody it. They could understand a bit just basically about, you know, how mining works, how blockchains work. And it made them more comfortable with the space. Um, what I found, though, now is talking to people this year, they are way more sophisticated than they were three years ago. And while they initially understand Bitcoin and understand like the, you know, the kind of, I guess, um, pitch around it being a digital gold, um, they, they see that as having kind of a cap and that there is more potential beyond that. And so for a lot of them, I come down to meetings and they're like, oh, yeah, like I've been doing I've been using OpenSea with my MetaMask and then I've been going to like Uniswap and like trading, you know, this like this stable coin for ETH. And then I've been going and depositing it into Aave and lending it out. And uh, like for a lot of them, they, they've really definitely gone down the rabbit hole in terms of trying to like grasp what else can be done with, you know, digital asset and blockchain technology. And for them, it's not just lit uh, limited to Bitcoin, which I think is great. Because at the end of the day, while Bitcoin, I think, is, I said, I think it's the perfect gateway for people to learn about the space. It's been, you know, the breakthrough technology that has allowed this space to grow. It's still, um, you know, at the end of the day, it still maybe has like an upper bound and we shouldn't rely on just Bitcoin to grow the space. Absolutely. We shouldn't just rely on Bitcoin. There's there's so many great protocols being built. So, uh, Katie, was, this, has been, this has been a fantastic conversation. I want to move on to our, our takeaways next. So for me, the big thing was that there's just things to still be optimistic for. You mentioned that uh, the, you, that we went through the Ethereum merge. You mentioned staking, kind of energy, energy uses. We also talked a lot about, you know, some of the kind of trends that we could see, the predictions that we have. And I think that those, the everything that you've outlined, I think, is definitely something that we can, that, 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 could be good and then we, you mentioned regulation and we could see positive regulatory uh kind of changes there that could push the industry forward those are my kind of takeaways from the, from the conversation how about you is there anything that you'd like to leave our viewers with yeah i mean i think look 2022 was a very difficult year for digital assets um and even for the macro environment broadly um and i know a lot of people are you know like I said, kind of throwing large, um, you know, remarks out like this is the end of digital assets. Um, but I think, you know, don't be discouraged. I think that 
reminder that there's still so many smart people building in this space, that there's so many people that are trying to make the space succeed, that there's so many great technologies that we're still uncovering, that there are, is a lot of opportunity still, and this is just really early days. Um, hopefully what has happened this year will kind of help um, you know, move things like regulation forward, which will long-term help grow the industry um, and will also help with education in the long run as well. Um, so those are the things I'm kind of looking forward towards in uh, 2023 and beyond. Awesome. Well, Katie, final question. What would be the best present crypto could give you for Christmas? The best present crypto could give me? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, <laughs> a resurgence, you know, is better prices, I guess, is what people probably say. But yeah, uh, the best present. Well, um, earlier this week, Quadriga CX, um, if you were familiar with that exchange story from a few years ago, some of the um, crypto that was in some of the cold wallets was moved around and nobody knows why. Um, so I think it would be awesome if, uh, you know, we found out that they actually had access to that crypto and were able to return those funds to users. That would be my Christmas present. That would be very awesome. Well, a message to our viewers and listeners, if you are still looking for a Christmas present, head over to realvision.com slash gift 2022. You can gift a Real Vision membership and get a discount on your renewal. Two birds with one stone. Uh, so we appreciate that. Get, head over there and, and definitely you know check that, that, that promotion out. Again, Katie, thank you so much for this conversation. It's really been a great one. Uh, before I let you go, is there, uh, is there how can people keep up with you and Arca? Sure. Um, so Arca, we're pretty easy on Twitter. It's at ARCA. Um, you can also go to our website. We have a great blog and newsletter that we put out every uh, Monday called That's Our Two Satoshis. It's a market recap. Um, you can subscribe to that in your inbox at ar.cea forward slash blog. Um, and then I'm on Twitter at Katie Talati. Pretty easy. Um, and you can also find it from any of the ARCA uh, you know, social profiles. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Marco. Well, that's it for today. If you're not a subscriber yet, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date with the latest crypto analysis. Join us again tomorrow for the final show of the year. It's going to be really festive and fun. See you at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Yeah.